0: Well, I think we cannot deny that the groundhog saw his shadow. Six more weeks, yay, woohoo! I think, regardless if the groundhog had seen his shadow or not, we would have gotten this lovely snowfall, and as many of you know, the lake effect that will more than likely follow. Yes, yes, we love the groundhog and the tradition of. The groundhog, at least in the United States, Puxitani Phil, there's a tongue twister for you, is deeply embedded now into our American conscience, especially for those of us that live up north, all right? The groundhog saw his shadow. And what's that all about? And to some extent, it ties into our celebration today, this Feast of the Presentation. The Feast of the Presentation technically happened on that same day, February 2nd. We just bumped it to this weekend because it made sense. But the idea of the groundhog seeing a shadow, shadow and light and expectation, to some extent is based off our Christian tradition of the readings we just heard from, the light of Christ being out to the world. And as I said earlier today, we have now 40 days eclipse since Christmas. And in the old church, this was a time to mark that all the preparations of Advent and the celebrations of Christmas and what emerges at Epiphany in the wise men now comes to a close today. And of course, winter goes on. Winter goes on. But I love this Feast of the Presentation because I think it reminds us of all the things we present of ourselves today. And I mean that both culturally culturally, as well as individually, as families, What does it mean to present of ourselves? And going back to Puxitani Phil and reading up about this tradition that's developed in that town in Pennsylvania, there's a very select group of people, a cadre, a conclave, whatever. They wear special hats. You can go look it up online. And they parade the groundhog around, and it's quite a tradition there but just thinking about how much effort is spent on presenting a groundhog. Think about that for a moment. Well, think about this for a moment. Also this week, we had the State of the Union Address. Think about the amount of presentation involved in this one moment. Could it be just in the hair of the president, I don't know what. And Regardless whether you like Donald Trump or not, or regardless of who's in the Oval Office, think about all that went into that presentation. All the planning, all the execution, all the cameras, all the effort put forward into it to share in part where we as a nation perhaps are and where we want to go. Likewise, with the state of the state or the state of the city, presentations about how we are as a nation. And of course, today marks another great feast in our calendars. And I know many of you are excited about it and many of you are boycotting it for various different reasons, the Super Bowl the great secular feast in our calendar about, well, I'll let you give your input to me later. Now, I know there are a few New England fans in the congregation, so I will be polite. And in that sense of charitable politeness, I have also reminded people that you cannot root against a team that is sinful. You cannot do that. That's just not well, that's just not good sportsmanship regardless if you like Tom Brady or not and all of that. But think about all the energy and the effort in the presentation of this sporting event that's technically just 60 ticks or 60 minutes on the clock, really. Think about it. The time and the energy in the game. The time and the energy into the halftime show. The time and the energy into the advertisements. And then think of the time and energy we spend as Americans because we actually do spend a lot. In fact, we spend over 15 Billion dollars in our Super Bowl parties. That's about 81 bucks per NFL fan if you break it down. Now, I've read about some extravagant parties where they fill the swimming pool full of nacho cheese and watch the big game on the screen in the backyard. Um, I suspect most of us aren't going to do anything that elaborate. But think about our presentations for parties and festivals and gatherings like that. All the time and the energy we put into that. Think about it. And for those of you that you know, are just are not football fans, this is one of the first years in a long time where that other great feast of presentation does not overlap. And it happens next week. I don't know if sponsors got together, but for those of you that are dog lovers, next weekend is the Westminster Dog Show. Talk about presentation taken to an art I was reading a story about an American couple that wanted to enter their dog in. It was a Labrador Retriever. Labrador Retrievers, quite frankly, are fairly low-maintenance dogs compared to a Maltese. But nonetheless, it cost oh, roughly $30,000 just to enter, present, and all the things to make this happen. The grooming, walkers, all the vaccines, all the care, the transportation. When you think about it, it adds up. All these things that we present in our life, and I'm not saying any of these things are inherently evil or wrong, but I do ask us to consider, especially as Christians, where does God intersect in all of these things we present? And not just the big cultural milestone moments that we see on TV or even in our life, but also in the everyday in the everyday, I read some survey taken recently that, what is it, about 60% of Americans spend almost 20 minutes getting ready in the morning just to present themselves to the world. Just out for the world. Maybe it's looking in the mirror. Maybe it's doing the hair. And this isn't just a sexist thing I'm saying either, because men are on the rise. Men are actually beginning to eclipse women in terms of time spent in front of the mirror. And I can see that as uh, some of the wives are looking at their husbands right now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine all that time we put into our everyday presentations of who we are. And I ask this because we do have to ask, where does God intersect into those moments? Because all the effort, all the energy, Super Bowl parties, big things, small things, what troubles me is that these things should bring us together, make us closer, make us tighter, create more social bonds. But are they? Are they? Because we're living in an increasingly lonely culture. And a little bit of statistics to back this up, prior to the oh, 1980s and even earlier, people who suffered from what we might call chronic loneliness, maybe that's a buzzword, but it was roughly less than 20% of the American population. Nowadays, we're almost at 45% of people who feel just plain lonely. Lonely. So with all these things we are spending our time with, getting ready, being together, all of that, we're lonely. And on one level, we can say, well, culture's to blame and all of that, or maybe we could do a better job in our family. But at the same time, we have to ask ourselves at the end of the day, sometimes that's just part of life. Looking outside right now kind of hones that in, bleak midwinter, Christmas is right finally over, get the lights off the tree, that should be all put away. But Sometimes that's part of life, and sometimes that's part of moving forward, and sometimes that's a reminder why we as Christians should take our faith like lighting a candle, keeping it lit in those moments of darkness. And one of the things I love about this day are the readings and how they find balance with each other. We have the optimism of the light of Christ on one hand throughout these readings, really, but we also have a sense of of suffering and enduring, and waiting, no matter what as well. We, we have this balance. And it shouldn't surprise us that it's especially found in the Old Testament readings. We hear about that in Malachi. We hear that about enduring. We hear that about God's people being purified and refined and shaped through all the ordeals they continue to go through. And as we sung in the psalm, we hear that even the ancient Israelites looked at God as a light in their life coming to them, yet even in the present suffering. And the reading from Hebrews reminds us that Jesus himself is no stranger to suffering, taking on our flesh. It almost sounds like something out of Philippians here from Hebrews, beautifully reminding us that Jesus knows the loneliness we experience as he was put upon the cross. But we find that balance with the message of the light of Christ shining through it all in this long reading from Luke that almost takes us back to what we hear at Christmas. A little bit about this reading. First, about some points of technicality because I think some of us Here it started, and we have this visual impression of Mary and Joseph, maybe in some type of buggy, stroller, whatever, arm-in-arm, and and they're going into the temple. And they go into the temple, and they're going to do this ritual thing, which I'll explain in just a moment. And some funny things happen, including, for example, this old guy comes up out of nowhere and takes away the baby. Imagine if that happened here. What would happen? (laughs) And then we hear about this woman, Anna, who comes out of nowhere, this church marm in the shadows who starts talking as well. We have all these extraordinary things happening. But why, Mary, Joseph, why are they here right now? What is this presentation all about? It's the fulfillment of the law. takes us back to Exodus 13 or Numbers 3 that, as we heard earlier, firstborn sons were a property of the Lord, taking us back to the Passover itself. But There is a tradition of paying so the family could take ownership of that firstborn son. The Nibyan Havan, as it's still practiced today by Orthodox Jews. I think you can see it on YouTube where they will sprinkle five silver shekels around the head of that firstborn male son. Almost looks like being baptized by coins, kind of cool. But it's the fulfillment of the law, Jesus as the firstborn male. That's why they're there, and that sounds very much like obligation—the law of what we should do. But what happens following is the light of Christ being revealed as the gospel of our salvation, of what we in part should be doing. Now I mentioned this uh, this old guy comes out of nowhere in the church. Simeon takes baby Jesus, forty days old. However, we want to do the math, and and then of all things, he takes the baby and. He starts singing. I thought about singing the part up there, but nah, that's not going to happen. But in the tradition I came out of, that song of Simeon was blasted in cathedrals and King Jamesian language. Lord, let us now thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. The light to the Gentiles. Very beautifully sung. But... As I just indicated, this isn't a cathedral. This is some old guy coming out of nowhere, taking a child. So his voice was not like a cathedral choir. Who knows what it would have sounded like. Why is he doing this? He's doing it, not because he's obligated to do it. He's not doing it because somebody behind the screen said, hey, Simeon, its cute. go out and grab the baby. He's doing it because he wants to do it. He knows what this child means to the world, what this child represents, what this child is, what this child will do. And likewise, Anna, when she comes out of the shadows and she talks. What I love about this when this happens, Mary and Joseph, the Holy Family, there in amazement, and that word amazement takes us back to the Christmas story itself where Mary's heart is overwhelmed in amazement. That same word here, amazed at Christmas, amazed now the light of Christ is being revealed. And with people like Simeon and Anna, they in turn become Mary and Joseph to the world today as they present the light of Christ through the ages, through this writing. And we, in turn, take on that role of passing on that light, of presenting Jesus to the world today. We, as church, in essence, become the Holy Family. That's what church should be about, the Holy Family presenting Jesus to the world. That's great, that's wonderful, but we have everyday lives. Some of you may have Super Bowl parties to plan for. Some of you may have to go home and dig something out of the garage or snowblow or whatever. And not every moment in our life can be profound like the temple presentation. That's why I return to that question of how do we in our everyday lives, not out of obligation, not because pastor told you so, but because we want to share that light. How do we do that? How do we find those moments? Is it before the mayor when we're getting ready in the morning? Do we say a prayer? Is it obviously before supper at Grace? Is it before a meeting? Is it before we hop in the car and pray to God that I get there safe in time? That all-wheel drive kicks in. What are those moments in life where it's not even about our own needs, but about giving glory to God? It's finding those small spaces. I remember going to this prayer workshop once, Christian prayer and uh, we were gathered around different tables, and we heard, listened, and even practiced praying different things, working on our discipline and all of that. And at one point, uh, I looked over, and there was this empty chair there in the, in the room, in the seminar booth, thinking, you know, all right, who didn't show up? Yeah, but they kept this chair empty. They didn't take it away. So I finally had the courage to ask, hey, you know, why that chair there? And I was told that, well, that's the Jesus chair. It's left empty as a reminder that God is with us in this room and that they had this tradition with that. I remember trying to do that at my house because the kids kept tipping over an extra chair at the table, and the Jesus chair kind of worked on that. But we need reminders of that in our life, that God is present even in those small things. Lutheran school here, Trinity, one of the unique things that they're going to be looking at this week is reverence. And in the weeks ahead for February, what is everyday reverence in our life? And sometimes it's simply turning on that light in our lives to make Jesus present. I want to end by sharing one last story about how the light of Christ goes out, because this last week here at the school was Lutheran schools week, and I was deeply impressed by our students going on a mission trip. We took them to Cambodia. We did. Via the internet. It was pretty cool. This online mission trip of all things. There are Christians in Cambodia in Southeast Asia. Not only are there Christians in Cambodia, there are Lutherans. There are Lutherans in Cambodia. And, and guess what? They, they don't eat sauerkraut and they don't have Oktoberfest. But guess what they do have? They still have Jesus and they pray. And they may not have the music finesse that we have or the beautiful space that we have, and they have just a lot less than what we have. But in their simple presentation of making Christ coming alive in the world today, I was struck by how our students here were brought into that very idea. No matter how little we think we have, Jesus is still sitting in that chair. The light is still left on. Finally, I think it's best and behooves us in our own tradition here, how we keep this light alive is by the very teaching of Jesus Himself. And we find that, as we'll put up on our screen in just a second, the creed. The creed itself tells this story of salvation and what Jesus has come to do. So please join me in standing as we confess our faith as found in the Nicene Creed.